which has clung to me and uh, which my natural aptitude for withdrawing from a business has uh, justified. I've had uh, several trades. I've been a traveling singer, a circus rider. Then I became a professor of gymnastics. And in the last place, I was a sergeant fireman at uh, Paris. But uh, five years have passed since I left France and uh, wishing to have a taste of family life, I have been a valet in England. Now, uh, finding myself out of a situation and uh, having learned that Monsieur Phileas Fogg was the most exact and uh, the most settled gentleman in the United Kingdom, I have uh, presented myself to Monsieur with the hope of living uh, tranquilly with him. You are recommended to me, replied the gentleman. I have good reports concerning you. You know my conditions? Oh, yes, sir. Well, what time have you? Uh, uh, Twenty-two minutes after eleven, replied Passepartout, drawing from the depths of his pocket an enormous silver watch. You are slow, said Mr. Fogg. Uh, pardon me, monsieur, but it is impossible. You are four minutes too slow. It does not matter. It suffices to state the difference. Then, from this moment... Uh, Twenty-nine minutes after eleven o'clock a.m., this Wednesday, October the 2nd, 1872, you are in my service. That said, Phileas Fogg rose, took his hat in his left hand, placed it upon his head with an automatic movement, and disappeared without another word. <sighs> upon my word, said Passepartout to himself, I have known at Madame Tussaud good people as lively as my new master. During the few minutes that he had interviewed Phileas Fogg, Passepartout had examined his future master rapidly but carefully. He was a man that might be forty years old, of fine handsome face, of tall figure, which a slight corpulence did not disparage, his hair and whiskers light, his forehead compact, without appearance of wrinkles at the temples, his face rather pale than flushed, his teeth magnificent. Indeed, Phileas Fogg was exactness personified. As for Jean, called Passepartout, he was a good fellow, of amiable physiognomy, his lips a little prominent, a mild, a serviceable being, with one of those good round heads that we like to see on the shoulders of a friend. After having had, as we have seen, quite a wandering youth, he longed for repose. A person such as Mr. Phileas Fogg, whose existence was so regular, who never slept in a strange bed, who did not travel, who was never absent, not even for a day— could not but suit him. At half-past eleven, Passepartout found himself alone in the Savile Row mansion. This clean, well-ordered, austere, Puritan house pleased him. On the mantel, an electric clock corresponded with the one in Phileas Fogg's bedchamber, both beating the same second at the same instant. Oh, that suits me, that suits me, said Passepartout. He observed also in the room a notice fastened above the clock. It was the programme for the daily service. Passepartout took a pleasure in contemplating this programme and impressing upon his mind its various directions. As to the gentleman's wardrobe, it was in very good taste and wonderfully complete. In short, in this house in Savile Row, its comfortable furniture indicated a delightful ease. Everything there denoted the most peaceful habits. Phileas Fogg had left his house in Savile Row at half-past eleven, and after putting his right foot before his left foot five hundred and seventy-five times, and his left foot before his right foot five hundred and seventy-six times, he arrived at the Reform Club, a spacious and lofty building in Pall Mall. 
The gentleman repaired immediately to the dining-room, whose nine windows opened upon a fine garden with trees already gilded by autumn. There he took his seat at his regular table, where the plate was awaiting him. At forty-seven minutes past noon, this gentleman rose and turned his steps towards the large hall. There a servant handed him the times, uncut, the tiresome cutting of which he managed with a steadiness of hand which denoted great practice. The reading of this journal occupied Phileas Fogg until a quarter before four, and that of the standard which succeeded it lasted until dinner. At twenty minutes before six, the gentleman reappeared in the large hall and was absorbed in the reading of The Morning Chronicle. Half an hour later, various members of the Reform Club entered and came near the fireplace in which a coal fire was burning. They were the usual partners of Phileas Fogg, like himself passionate players of whist. The engineer, Andrew Stewart, the bankers, John Sullivan and Samuel Fallentin, the brewer, Thomas Flanagan, Gautier Ralph, one of the directors of the Bank of England.